Welcome in, everybody. This is the Locked On Eagles podcast. Lou DiBiase here, as always, joining you on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Happy Tuesday. Welcome into the show. We're taking one last look at the Eagles' 17-9 loss on Sunday to the Seattle Seahawks as the Eagles fall to 5-6 and six on the season. It's our flagship show of the week, as always. Stock up, stock down. So we'll get into some of the positives of that game, some players that really did shine. Spoiler alert, most of those players, if not all of them, are going to be on the defensive side of the football, and then stock down as well. What really caused the Eagles to lose their second straight game here? Opportunities, opportunities on opportunities. The defense gave this offense, and the offense just could not capitalize at all. Five turnovers. They haven't done that in over four years. From the you know just the injuries, the coaching, the quarterback play, a lot of it. We'll get into it in segment three, and then here in segment one, we've got some injury updates for you. The Eagles made a interesting roster move on Monday, and I want to get into right guard Brandon Brooks speaking out about his anxiety and what happened on Sunday when he had to be pulled from the game due to nausea and what seemed to be an anxiety attack of some sort, which pulled Matt Pryor into the game and Big V had to play right tackle. So that's what's coming up on today's edition of Locked on Eagles. And guys, it is brought to you today by DoorDash. Treat yourself to the meal you deserve and have your favorite restaurants come to you with DoorDash. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter the promo code LOCKEDON. That's L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N. Listening on the go, if you can't visit DoorDash, Dash right now, you can visit all offers on lockdownpodcast.com slash offers. So one key note of news I want to get into on this Tuesday afternoon is the Eagles have activated cornerback Craven LeBlanc to a 21-day practice window. And he's been on IR throughout the season. He was dealing with an injury from August that he suffered during training camp. So the Eagles have not been with what was their I would say, I mean, it's tough because Razul Douglas and Avante Maddox were so good down the stretch too, but one of the Eagles' best defensive players down the stretch in the 2018 playoff run in LeBlanc, in the slot, we all remember that key interception on Drew Brees in the divisional round. The Eagles picked him off the streets, basically. He was a free agent. He comes in against the Giants when the Eagles are 4-6 and six after that Saints blowout loss, and he plays a heck of a game, makes a key play on Odell Beckham in the red zone, and from there, he was a staple of the Eagles defense. It was kind of like what this year's version of Jannard Avery is, only on another level. I mean, LeBlanc was crucial. Avery has been a good rotational player, but not nearly getting the role that LeBlanc did. So he was activated today to this 21-day practice window where they can decide if they're going to keep him on the active roster or move him back to injured reserve. LeBlanc with the media today says he can play Sunday potentially, but he's not quite in football shape yet. I do wonder what the Eagles will do with him when he is healthy. They think very highly of him. He's very athletic for his size. He's a really good tackler. Great ball skills. He's fast. The Eagles like speed at the cornerback position. It's why they've really overlooked all of Ronald Darby's other flaws. It's why they like Avante Maddox in the slot, and I'm sure part of it is why they really don't love Razul Douglas. I wonder what they will do, though, because Razul Douglas in dime packages has been that fourth corner that has come on the field since they moved on from Anderson Deho. When they have six 
secondary players out on the defense. It used to be three safeties, three cornerbacks, where now you're normally just having Jenkins and McLeod at safety, and you're having Jalen Mills, Ronald Darby, Avante Maddox, and Razul Douglas at cornerback. Douglas normally on the outside, which kicks Mills across the formation, normally inside in some linebacker or nickel corner role, with Avante Maddox either playing safety or also inside. So, I don't know. It depends. Do they want to keep Jalen Mills on the outside and now push LeBlanc inside with Maddox in these dime packages? Do they want to continue to use Razul on the outside? He's looked really good, I think, when he's been on the field as the sub-package player, but I think they will most likely prefer LeBlanc on the field when he is healthy and ready to go. It adds another athletic playmaker that can prevent these deep balls down the field that Seattle started to have success with once again last week. And the Eagles got lucky that they had a great defensive performance, but they're lucky that the Seahawks didn't put up 30-plus points. There were two big touchdowns and some other plays down the field that Seattle just simply missed. So we'll see what happens with LeBlanc. He says he could potentially play this Sunday against Miami. It's probably more likely that he goes the following week. All right, so that's what happened today with injury news for the Eagles. But yesterday, the Eagles ended up cutting Jordan Matthews, the wide receiver. They signed two weeks ago, the third stint with the team, and this one did not nearly go as well as the other two stints. The first one, basically he was your wide receiver one for a couple years. Then even last year, you bring him back after losing Mike Wallace with a leg injury after the Tampa Bay game week two, and Matthews was Outside of Nelson Aguilar, your best deep threat down the field. Very reliable until the Eagles ended up trading for Golden Tate, which made him wide receiver four. But even against the Saints, I mean, he scored a touchdown in the divisional round of the playoffs. He wasn't even close to the player that even we saw in 2018. He had multiple bad drops against the Patriots two weeks ago. He's just created no separation. That chemistry with Carson Wentz just was not there at all. And now that Alshon Jeffrey should be back this week, same with Nelson Aguilar. It's smart to give J.J. Ortega-Whiteside those reps at wide receiver three, and Greg Ward as well, who was the only wide receiver that could create any sort of separation against Seattle's defense on Sunday. And then you'd rather have your wide receiver five and Matt Collins be able to play special teams as opposed to Jordan Matthews, who has never played special teams. There's some people that have mentioned if there's a split between the front office and the coaching staff with these moves, because there's been multiple times this year the Eagles have cut a player that plays a significant amount of snaps on offense or defense, right? Linebacker Zach Brown, safety Andrew Sandejo. Um, I don't think there is this divide within the front office and the coaching staff when it comes to communication of roster turnover with personnel decisions. The Eagles just have found better options at these spots from guys returning from injury, right? When you look at Zach Brown, Camus Gruger-Hill was coming back. They like Nate Geary. Uh, TJ Edwards was showing a lot of promise on the field through a comp pick, which is just way better than Andrew Sandejo taking out his own players or someone else they can sign. Um, you look at the cornerback position when you think of Sandejo, right? And yeah, we can get a fourth round pick and we can keep Avante Maddox on the field with Razul Douglas, two players that to me make a more positive impact on the, on the unit than Sandejo. So just because they played significant amount of snaps doesn't really mean the coaching staff didn't sign off on these moves. They didn't sign off on moving on after seeing what kind of play they got out of these players. I mean, Jim Schwartz, you saw that article in the Philadelphia Inquirer two weeks ago. He has a significant amount of say on personnel. It's why Nigel Bradham has been on this defense for so long. It's why Darby is here. It's why the Eagles went out and 
really pursued and made sure they got Malik Jackson next to Fletcher Cox at defensive tackle. So if he didn't sign off on them cutting Zach Brown, a guy that he handpicked over Jamie Collins, who was advised by the scouting department to sign over Brown, but Schwartz got his way. If he didn't sign off on Zach Brown getting released and Brown got released, there would have been some issue internally, and I don't think there was. It didn't seem like Schwartz really minded that decision at all. So to me, he has to sign off on these personnel decisions. I think Doug Peterson has a say as well. I'm not there with the other people that think that maybe there is some sort of divide between the coaching staff and the uh personnel department, the front office. I just think Jordan Matthews is a, you know, you, you got these guys coming back from injury. You saw, yeah, he did play more snaps than any receiver the last two weeks and he got uh, 12 or 10 or 12 targets. I forget what the exact number is the past two games, but once they saw what happened with all those reps, you saw that result over two weeks. It was time to move on with players returning from injury. He just, he didn't have it just because they made those decisions to play him a lot. Once they saw the result of that product, they ended up moving on. I think the coaching staff would agree with this decision that the front office made. You don't just, Howie Roseman's not just making moves without advisement from his coaches in the middle of a playoff run. So I, I don't really see uh, the discrepancy there. I want to finish off this Jordan Matthews era, the third Jordan Matthews era of Philadelphia Eagles football with a little note and a little bit of advisement that I gave to Matthews. And it goes like this. Dear Jordan Matthews, the Eagles decided they just wanted to be friends in 2017. They just kept coming back to you for short periods of time simply because they're hurting. You're nice, you're good with their friends, comfortable to have around, but they'll always be looking for Mr. Right. You'll always just be a rebound. One last thing before we move on to our stock up segment of today's edition of the podcast. Brandon Brooks spoke out about the anxiety attack that he had on Sunday the reason he had to leave the game against Seattle. He was vomiting, nauseation dealing with throughout the morning. He tried to give it a go. He did play a good amount of snaps in that game before he ended up getting pulled. I want to play the audio of what he said today. He met with the media for the first time uh, since this happened on Sunday. I'm good. Uh, you know, in a much better place. Uh, you know, uh, the, I kind of you know tweeted about it. The, the biggest thing, um, you know, I feel terrible about is you know when my team needed me I uh you know I wasn't there and you know I, I had a handle on it for you know two and a half years now and you know I don't um I guess the silver lining is you know I, I'm definitely on the right track um but you know moving forward got a plan in place to to ensure that you know a situation like this uh you know doesn't doesn't happen um they're bringing their decision I think that's the the important part is um you know when you have an issue is that you know, seek help and, and to attack it. Um, one thing I think you guys know about me is um, no matter what adversity I've had since, I, since I've been here, um, you know, I always try to, to, to face it head on and to attack it. And this is, you know, you know no, uh, nothing different. So that was Brandon Brooks talking to the media on this Tuesday morning after practice. And uh, it's a, look, let me just tell you, I think Brooks is a role model for a lot of people out there. It's extremely admirable for him to speak up about this mental illness 
that he deals with that a lot of people in America and around the globe deal with. And it's not that easy to talk about, but him being upfront about living with it, you know, trying to live up to the new contract, being a part of the reason he had this anxiety attack on Sunday, not having Lane Johnson next to him at right tackle, a guy that's been instrumental to Brooks' success. And of course, he's, you know, one of Brooks's closest teammates on the team. Those were a lot of things that kind of triggered it again after two years. As he said, he's had a handle on this for two years, but dealing with mental illness is a struggle throughout somebody's entire life. And there's good days, there's times where it doesn't happen for weeks on end, months on end, years on end. And then it can re-trigger just like that with a couple things here and there that happen. So to see even the best offensive lineman in the NFL, and that's what I'm going to call him right now, because I think right now he's the best offensive lineman in football at the height of his powers. For even him to have to take himself out of that situation like a game, because it shows it really it shows people that it's okay to be open about it, and that it isn't something you just you know you that only you deal with. Sometimes it's just honestly it's too overwhelming to do anything at a high level, especially play in a football game. You know that nauseation that's a real element of anxiety, and it's it's hard to talk about for a lot of people. It's really hard to understand even when you have it. So to be able to communicate it to others, it's why so many people really don't open up about their mental struggles. So Brooks is someone that a lot of people can look up to to have the best interior offensive lineman in the league. You know, say that it's uh, it really is admirable of Brandon Brooks. One day, like he said, you have the confidence that you you're the best player in the world. You're great at what you do, and the next you feel like you're the worst at that ever, and your confidence is absolutely shattered. So it's a constant struggle. Brooks did say he expects to play against Miami. The Eagles need him, and he's been so valuable to them on and off the field to the organization, but also to the community. So if you're an Eagles fan out there and you're looking for a player to buy a jersey of next, I think Brandon Brooks is a damn good purchase. So I think he should be proud of the way he's handled this over the past four years with the Eagles, and that he's he really is a role model to a lot of people out there. So that's what I'll say on the Brandon Brooks situation. Coming up next right here on the Lockdown Eagles podcast, we're going to get into stock up. Start to talk about some positives here of that Seattle game. There wasn't a lot, but that game was very winnable, and it was winnable for really one reason, and that was the defense, and that'll be the theme of this next segment. On this Tuesday edition of Lockdown Eagles, don't go anywhere, guys. We'll be right back. Ladies and gentlemen, Eagles fans across the globe, today's podcast is sponsored by MyBookie. For this week only, MyBookie is offering a risk-free bet on the Bears-Lions game. Simply choose a team against the spread for up to $250. If you win, congrats. You've got extra holiday spending money. If you lose, congratulations to you as well. MyBookie will give you all your money back. It's a no-brainer because you literally cannot lose. It's no risk, all gravy. It doesn't matter whether you're an experienced player or a first-time customer. MyBookie welcomes all to come play. So quit waiting around and sign up today. Just log into MyBookie.ag and make your first deposit with the promo code LOCKEDON and MyBookie will match your deposit dollar for dollar to jumpstart your bankroll and that's on top of the risk-free bet. Let me repeat, that's a guaranteed deposit match and a risk-free bet for this week only. So if you're a true football fan, you do not want to let this opportunity pass you by. You simply can't lose. Make sure you do the part to support your team this season. Hop on the gravy train and get in on the action with my bookie. You play, you win, and you get paid. We'll be right back. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back. This is the Lockdown Eagles podcast, as always, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network. Your team 
Every day, it's time for our Stock Up, Stock Down edition of the show. And this is the Seattle Seahawks edition. The Eagles fall to Seattle on Sunday, 17-9. The offense was abysmal. We will get into it in segment three. But regardless of that performance from Carson Wentz, Doug Peterson, the wide receivers, if you even want to call them wide receivers, and the offense, this game was a one-possession game. It was really a one-score game throughout the majority of it until, you know, seven to eight to seven minutes left in the fourth quarter the game was up for grabs the Eagles could have won this and could have been looking at you know six and five and that's mainly because of the defense so I have three players here to raise their stock and number one is defensive end Brandon Graham I went back in the tape the all 22 to watch Brandon Graham against Seattle and he was all over the field against the run, in the pass rush on the edge, in the interior. He got to Russell Wilson all game. He finishes with one and a half sacks. He's got seven and a half on the year. He only needs two and a half more over a five-game span to finally break double-digit sacks in one season. He has never done it before. He's got nine and a half before, and that was in 2017. So he's only two sacks away from surpassing his, or from tying his career high in a half a sack after that from breaking it, which is, you know, it's awesome. You gave the guy a contract extension. He's an older player, but to see that he's still at the height of his powers is really encouraging for the Eagles that have needed this defense to come through, and specifically their pass rush has come through. All seven and a half sacks from Brandon Graham this year, by the way, have come in his last seven games. He is absolutely heating up, and it's good that he's playing his best football at the right time. And really, the entire defense is playing their best football at the right time, just like they were in 2017 when they knew they had to step up when Carson Wentz went down, and just like they did last year in 2018 when they knew they had to step up when Carson Wentz went down. This defense... When the when the playoffs that playoff push comes and you can you can smell it in the air it's coming and you start to break out the playoff machine and the Eagles need to make a push down the stretch the pass rush has really gotten going and just the defense in general the secondary too last year and in the secondary against Seattle on Sunday I got two more players that their stock is through the roof right now and one of them they're both safeties the first one Malcolm Jenkins Malcolm Jenkins had such a key role in that game he played spy on Russell Wilson all game long making sure that Wilson didn't escape all the time and just make you pay with his legs like he's so you know accustomed to doing. Jenkins got two sacks on the day. He had four quarterback hits, six tackles, uh, one tackle for a loss. He was playing deep at times. It was just the prototypical Malcolm Jenkins Swiss Army knife game. He was absolutely incredible. And my other stock up for the day is safety Rodney McLeod. Rodney McLeod, a key interception in the second half. He had a sack himself, and that sack was on a play where, you know, he was 20 yards deep. It was a invert cover two, and he was playing on the right sideline. Russell Wilson rolls to his right. Seems like he He's got daylight. McLeod just comes crashing downfield, trips him up for the sack. McLeod has been, you know, we talk about Malcolm Jenkins and the Swiss Army knife he is, how important he is to this defense. I think Rodney McLeod is equally as important. He really allows Malcolm Jenkins to do so many different things, to play spy on a quarterback all game long. Because you have McLeod on the back end, you know he's responsible for a lot of assignments and a lot of responsibilities in coverage. And the fact that he can also contribute blitzing and getting a sack himself, he is he's so important to this defense, and he probably will be re-signed this offseason. You know, he's in a contract year. Uh, he only signed a one-year deal with the Eagles this last offseason. 
season, so he's set to become a free agent. The Eagles are still going to, you know, probably prioritize bringing in a young safety for the future with Malcolm Jenkins being in his 30s, McLeod being an older player. But considering the Eagles like to use five to six secondary players, the majority of the time on defense, you're going to probably bring McLeod back. And you saw against Seattle on Sunday that he is still a pretty damn good player. All right, we got to hit another break here on the Lockdown Eagles podcast. When we come back, it's time for some more negatives. Stock down. Whose stock is plummeting after the loss to the Seahawks? Don't go anywhere. This is Lockdown Eagles. We'll be right back. All right, everybody, welcome back in. This is the Locked On Eagles podcast. Lou DiBiase joining you and wrapping up this Tuesday edition of the show, Stock Up, Stock Down. We got into Stock Up. Brandon Graham, Malcolm Jenkins, Roddy McLeod, all three defensive players were really big on Sunday, and they're going to be instrumental to a potential playoff push with the Eagles here, who do need to win out most likely to make the playoffs. I'll I'll post the uh, total playoff scenarios, all of the different ones the Eagles can get into the postseason with. There's not that many, but that's why you got to follow us on Twitter, at DiBiaseLOE. Continue to get in on this conversation, and make sure you're subscribing to the podcast, because we got four to six episodes a week downloaded into your phone, including Crossover Wednesday tomorrow, where Gino Camilleri will be talking with Travis Winkfield of Lockdown Dolphins to preview the Eagles-Dolphins game on Sunday in Miami. It's a big one for the Eagles to bounce back here and get back to 500. The reason they have to get back to 500 is because of how bad that offense played once again on Sunday for two weeks straight. Now this Eagles offense just cannot get the ball moving especially down the field in the passing game and the specific reason for that the main reason are the wide receivers. The wide receivers stock is significantly down right now. That performance against Seattle, I thought it was bad against New England. They created no separation against, I mean, of course, what was the best secondary in the NFL right now in the Patriots, but it was equally as bad against the Seahawks. It was even worse than I had thought. I thought a lot of it was on Carson Wentz, and I'm not going to be someone that makes excuses for Wentz. He's coming up here in this segment, but oh my gosh. I mean, Dan Orlovsky did a great job of breaking down the film from that game from a wide receiver perspective. And nobody outside of Greg Ward against linebackers could create any separation. Even Ward, Arthega Whiteside, other receivers, Matthews, uh, Matt Collins, just not running routes correctly, not on the same page as Wentz at all. Wentz, a lot of those inaccurate throws we saw that a lot of national media members were cherry-picking, saying, oh, look at the, the plummeting season Carson Wentz is having in 2019. A lot of those inaccurate throws were actually due to bad positioning of wide receivers, being too deep on a crossing pattern or you know not sitting where they were supposed to in the flat like Arthago Whiteside did on that uh, really bad miss from what we thought was a really bad miss from Carson Wentz where he had funky footwork and just really missed the throw. A lot of it was because Arthago Whiteside was in the wrong spot and he hopped over too far. And a lot of it was chemistry and just wide receivers not being placed in the right position. They need Alshon Jeffrey back so bad. And even at less than 100% with his you know foot injuries that he's been dealing with, his leg injuries he's been dealing with this year, the calf injury, the ankle injury, despite that and despite him regressing this year, dropping the football, not being on the same page as Carson Wentz down the field, the Eagles are 5-2 and two when Alshon Jeffrey plays this year, and they're 1-4 and four when he doesn't. So they need Alshon Jeffrey back as bad as Nelson Aguilar has been. I mean, and he's done virtually nothing this year, and yet he, I was longing for Nelson Aguilar yesterday. That's how bad these other wide receivers really were. A lot of the reason, though, these wide receivers are that bad 
is the next stock down, and it's the Eagles' assistant coaches. If you had to pinpoint three reasons right now the Eagles are 5-6, and six, I would say the main reasons are number one, injuries, number two, the wide receiver play, but number three, and a close three, is assistant coaching. And assistant coaching directly is impacting that wide receiver play. You can point to coaches like Carson Walsh, the wide receiver coach, offensive coordinator Mike Rowe, uh, quarterback coach Press Taylor. These are guys that are reasons for wide receivers regressing this year, the lack of development at that position, the offensive game plan not being as sharp and as consistent as it's been in the past. Carson Wentz's recent play. Those three guys, I think all three of them, should not be with the organization next year. I think the Eagles need a significant change when it comes to the offensive minds in the coaching staff with Doug Peterson. He needs fresh minds. I don't know if it's going to be, when Josh McCown retires, make him part of your staff like the Cowboys did with Kellen Moore. Or Mike Kafka right now is the quarterback coach in Kansas City with Andy Reid. Remember Mike Kafka, the former third-string quarterback for the Eagles during the Dream Team era? Right now, I would have him as the offensive coordinator in a heartbeat. Bring him in with Doug Peterson. They need fresh offensive minds. Get rid of Carson Walsh. Get rid of Mike Groh. And for me, get rid of Press Taylor. I don't care that Taylor and his brother are friends with Sean McVay, whatever. It's it's time to move on from a lot of these assistant coaches. Of course, our final stock down is Carson Wentz and Doug Peterson. They need to be better regardless of these things. Their, their stock is down, but... I'm nowhere near not believing these two are the foundation pieces moving forward for the Eagles, like a lot of people are feeling right now. But a lot of you right now that are listening to this podcast know that it's an overreaction and that Carson Wentz and Doug Peterson, they're just not as bad as they've been performing the past two weeks. It's hard to be consistent with the situation both have around them. I mean, they're really dealing with the same thing. You look at how bad the wide receiver play has been this year and the drops on offense, not just the receivers, but Dallas Goddard this year has dropped a lot of passes. He's fumbled in crucial situations this year in key games against Dallas and against Seattle. Doug Peterson, again, is dealing with the same thing with Carson Walsh and Mike Groh and Press Taylor. He's just not getting the support from around him in the coaching staff, offensive minds that he's been used to in the past. Again, they, they do need to perform better than the way they have the last two weeks. For Wentz, he needs to play loose, he needs to relax, settle into these easy throws he's missing. We know he's not this inaccurate. Trust what you're seeing. Start moving outside of the pocket more. Stop getting stone feet inside the pocket. He's just not feeling pressured as good as he normally does. He needs to obviously protect the football too. I mean, he's been fumbling within the pocket on these sacks really since 2016. And like Malcolm Jenkins said this week in a radio appearance, Wentz and the offense might just have to be okay with settling all the time because these weapons might not ever be able to make the big plays this year that Wentz is hoping for. When he's extending the ball, when he's holding onto the ball, he's waiting for a big play to break open, and with the personnel he has this year, it might just never happen. So like Malcolm Jenkins says, maybe you have to settle for winning these football games 13-9, to or like Seattle did, they won 17-9. to You make a key play here and there, you protect the football, you kick field goals, and you play the field position battle. So they have, look, they have a month to build this confidence, that momentum, before Dallas week in Week 16, which will probably be for the division. But, you know, they've been bad. They've got time to rebound, and I certainly don't think he. this has been what we've seen all year from Wentz and for Doug. I mean, look, for Doug, too, you look at him, 
he's got to run the football more. There's some times where just the play calling, it really makes you scratch your head from an analytics perspective. And just, I mean, like that that draw play on third down, they've never drawn that up before this year. And, and you're wondering, you know, where that came from. Doug can string together three beautiful drives, and then suddenly just, he looks like a deer caught in the headlights as a play caller this year. And that's just, it's out of character. And I'm sure a lot of it, again, has to do with the support system around him. But... Um, he needs to be better as well to help. He's got to help Wentz more too. get him continuously doing what he was doing to start the half against Seattle, moving the pocket, getting Carson Wentz on the run up tempo, get him comfortable. You did that against Seattle to start the half and they were moving the football and you did it. You know, you look at last year, Monday night football against Washington, a very similar situation. It was the same week coming up as this coming Sunday where the Eagles needed to get a win to get to six and six and stay alive in the playoff race. And I thought Wentz had one of his better games of the 2018 season. So, you know, the stock is down right now for Wentz and Peterson, but I certainly, again, don't think that the past two games are an indication of what they've been all year. This inaccurate when it comes to Wentz, this slow through progressions, this hesitant to fire the football, the the regression from those two the past couple games, and sometimes this season, has been a direct result of the other things that we've been talking about, the support system around them. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that's going to do it for today's edition of the Lockdown Eagles podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. We will be back tomorrow. Gino, again, will be visiting with Travis Wingfield of Lockdown Dolphins to get a preview of this coming Sunday's matchup in South Beach. As for myself, Lou DiBiase, I'm signing off. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast. Just tell Siri or Alexa to play Lockdown Eagles. You can also check them out on LockdownEagles.com. And the conversation always continues on Twitter. You can follow our show page at Lockdown Birds. You can follow me at DiBiase-L-O-E. And you can follow Gino at Gino underscore L-O-E. As always, that's going to do it. Thank you for downloading. Thank you for listening. And let's go Birds.